CAO TBC has teamed up with The Generalist. That's hosted by me, Jen Talbensay, to produce some exclusive content for us OTs in the beautiful province of British Columbia. This collaboration is all about knowledge translation to make it easier to keep up with the changing landscape, high quality research, and OT news across the province. Welcome to CAO TBC, the podcast. We're getting a behind-the-scenes listen of Connect Day Primary Care. Our expert today was a panelist at the event in the fall and advocates for OTs in primary care. Welcome, Edith McCaddy. Hi, everyone. Great to be here. To start us off, can you share an overview of your work within primary care? I will say that I'm not specifically working in primary health care. However, I am an occupational therapist who works in community pediatrics. So I work at a child development center. I work on the school therapy team. So I see kids um, and families uh, from a large, large urban center uh, from about my caseload is about um, mostly elementary school kids. So kindergarten to grade seven. And I see the kids at school, um, but also at home and, and at the commu- in the community, if that's relevant. And maybe just as background, yeah. one of the roles that I hold is the co-chair of the BC Health Coalition. So the BC Health Coalition is a, a nonprofit organization of individuals and organizations who are super passionate about um, protecting and improving our public health care system in BC. We have representation from all over BC. And we're made up of uh, working people, seniors, there's community groups from local small communities um, in rural BC. We have unions, as well as, yeah, just regular folks who who really care about our public health care system and want to see it improved. So one of the reasons that I uh, was asked to speak on the panel at the Connect Day was that uh, the BC Health Coalition, so I'm an OT myself, and the BC Health Coalition has taken a very active role in um, advocating for primary health care reform. Specifically, we've started to focus our, our efforts on advocating for community health centers. We see that as, I think, a real hope and evidence-based sort of end goal of primary health care transformation. So I can dive more into that as we go along. Perfect. Well, I'm so excited to have you here today. I want to start off with what was it like being involved with a Connect Day? I want to know what the overall experience was like and what your biggest takeaways were. Yeah, it was great. I was really honored to be invited as a panelist. And I think whenever I get together with lots of OTs, it's really exciting because I don't often, I mean, I'm so lucky in the Child Development Center to get to where I have amazing OT coworkers, but my job is very self-directed. So I'm, I'm out in the community all the time and, and seeing kids at home. And so I'm not working side by side with OT colleagues. Um, and so when we get into, when I get into a room with a whole bunch of OTs and we get to talk about a, a topic I really care about, it's great because we all understand what uh, occupational therapists do and you don't have to explain like what our profession is about. And, and I also find that o- OTs are especially suited to talking about primary healthcare because it's at the core of our training to, to look at, you know, have a holistic approach to health. And, mm-hmm. and so again, you don't have to spend a lot of time talking about why sort of a wraparound community approach would be really effective with people with complex illnesses. Right. 
that's kind of built into what we do already. <laughs> yeah. What is OT's role in primary care? The OT role in primary care, that's a great question. I think it's a really big question that is evolving right now because in my experience, we just haven't had a lot of opportunity as OTs to actually practice to full scope, whatever that means, in primary care. And so I think there's a lot of OTs and people, um, policy people and people in the Ministry of Health, like really trying to figure that out right now. One of the cool things that was presented at the Connect Day was with the launching of a new primary health care certification through UBC um, that the OT, it, I mean, it's open to multiple disciplines, but um, the OT department is hosting, like sort of was the, I don't know, the, the founding, the founding department that put it together. Cool. Yeah. Um, and so that was really neat because I think there's a real awareness that people perhaps need more training to define the role a bit more. And, and this is one way to do it. And, and certainly, I'm sure there's other, um, you know, certifications in primary health care that people could pursue. I've also worked in acute care. And I think, like, no matter the setting, OTs always approach, like, use the same approach. Like, we're looking at self-care productivity and leisure. We're looking at removing barriers to meaningful participation and always focusing on occupation. And so I think having OTs part of the primary healthcare team is such an amazing opportunity because there are so many people that I see, you know, standard family or, or just people I know of who are really struggling with their health. And if they had a little bit of support in the, at the community level, at the primary care level, like, and, and had a team that could follow them ongoing and like, we could really address, address a lot of chronic illnesses and, mm-hmm. um, and just help people, be in their lives, like really, really thrive. Cool yeah. yeah, really thrive. And I mean, I think there's so many ways that the that OTs could do that. Like there's the, you know, typical like taking a look at like falls prevention and and doing a lot of like education pieces with people coming in who maybe have some of some risk factors to deteriorating health or they have a complicated medical situation or they're just not doing that great and those are the clients that people see in emerge all the time or at the library or at the community health center or like or sorry at, at the community center um or maybe they're like you know maybe their daughter-in-law is just like a bit worried about them and i feel like again because ot has the ability to address cognitive issues you know self-care physical impairments um, and also mental health, like I think OTs really are suited to being quite flexible in a primary healthcare role and, and meeting people where, where they're at and, and working as a team. So I don't think everybody walking into a primary care center needs an OT, but I think having an OT on the team would be incredibly valuable for, for the doctors and physio and like the rest of the people on an expanded team-based version of primary care. The BC provincial government invested $150 million into team-based primary care, and doctors are interested and open to having different people on their team. How do we get OTs on the team? Like, Who do we talk to? How do we advocate for it? Yeah, for sure. I think the reality for family doctors has been that they've been working in isolation for a super long time. Obviously, they collaborate and consult with you know specialists regularly, but I don't think many family doctors actually have have much experience at all working on a daily basis in a team and necessarily have that understanding of like what it could look like. And so that I think is actually a pretty big barrier. Um, I think some doctors are quite, um, especially doctors who 
also work in acute care and maybe have some experiences with working other professions to serve client needs in um, or patient needs in hospitals. But yeah, and so I think part of it is that OTs themselves need to have have some pretty thorough conversations about like what could the role be like mm-hmm. uh, as, as the experts on what our OTs are and what what our scope of practice is um, in different settings. I think we have to come forward and present some like pretty clear ideas about you know here here's the top ten things I could I could do for primary care in terms of a doctor's mindset I guess but also but also the general public and and government as well. I think our profession has always had a challenge in, in having people appreciate like what we do, how we do it, how how we're so suited to to so many different roles. So that's quite unique to our profession in some ways. Will primary care networks be a solution for the shortages of um, doctors in the province? I think you're right. The government has put a lot of effort into trying to address shortage of doctors. Many people are not attached or don't have a medical home or whatever language you want to use. And so many people have to rely on walk-in clinics or go into an emergency. And and obviously that's that's a a really difficult way to access your health care on an ongoing basis. Team-based community support makes sense to reduce emergency visits and provide a home base for people in healthcare. How can utilizing OTs and teams improve people's experience and quality of healthcare in BC? To start better utilizing um, professions like occupational therapists and physio and dietitian and social workers at the community level, at the primary care level, I think is is a super important strategy because there are so many um, healthcare interactions I can think of that either I myself have personally experienced or my family members or the people that I work with where, where the doctor is actually not the best health professional to address the issue. Mm-hmm. So that's where that's where we start. I get really excited thinking about, wouldn't it be amazing if the person coming in because they have a sore knee every month, wouldn't it be amazing if they could just see the physio right there and, and you know, come up with a plan to get a diagnosis or the person who is just there starting to not have very good hygiene, they're not eating well, and maybe it's because like they're starting to have cognitive difficulties and they can't make their meals anymore. Wouldn't it be amazing if an OT could just start to put some things in place to help make sure that person is safe at home and and also figure out a way to either make the task easier or, you know, look look at alternate levels of care. Like there's so many efficiencies that I think OTs could bring to the healthcare interaction because we focus on key functionings that that are not just medical. Those like lifestyle interventions that a doctor might list off, we can actually help people take the steps towards reaching yeah, out, and, and implement. That. How do you see OTs providing care in a clinic setting? I think that's a really good question because mm-hmm. I think in my mind, again, because I, I come from the child development world. And so I'm constantly going out into the community and seeing kids in their homes and at school. And so in their regular environment, so I can really get a, a true picture of like how they function. So I always imagine a primary care team as having the flexibility to, to have some community interactions and like actually be out of a clinic setting. Um, but that's just me. <laughs> <laughs> that's the big dream. I think there's really good models. Um, again, I'm not, I'm not an expert on the foundry model, but I think the foundry model is a really important one to pay attention mm-hmm. to because that that's been quite successful at offering primary health care to um, young adults, 18 to 24, I believe, um, 
who need mental health care, but are also accessing primary health care all in the same um, setting. Building, yeah. Yeah, exactly. All in the same building. And OTs are, are certainly a, a big part of that team. And so I think looking at those models that are up and running and are very popular or very, I think, successful uh, in BC, I think is a good pathway forward to how, how we can imagine OTs functioning in many more primary care settings. Right. Because that one's specific to mental health and teens. So yeah. taking that model and kind of expanding it out. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So what's happening in primary care reform from a policy or government level? The, the provincial government in the last two years, it's, it's been ex- really exciting because they have actually shown a lot of interest and commitment to um, improving public health care. So that's excellent. That's a, This is a huge opportunity for us to really um, create some change um, and invest in, in a system that everyone can access. So they've been doing kind of three main approaches to primary health care reform. So one is they're creating primary care networks, basically in centered around different divisions of family practice. So those are like geographic locations, like Mm -hmm. they are rolling out a network, starting with the division of family practice and um, building a number of connections with nurse practitioners, pharmacists, a little bit of physio here and there. I don't know if there's actually an OT yet part of one of these primary care networks, but certainly connected to them. So they're actually like adding some staff at the um, primary care level they're making these like online hubs to try and make it a bit easier for people to understand like who they can go to and also to strengthen relationships between family doctors and other healthcare professionals who's deciding which healthcare professionals are being added to teams or connected through those online hubs they have been doing community consultations and trying to take the lead from the communities about what professions are asking for and so that's important to know because I think, again, OT has more challenges in terms of promoting like what we do to the general mm-hmm. public than other professions like physio or dietitian, for example. So I think it is really important to be active in promoting like what we can do both to the general public, but also to the medical community and government. To help you advocate for occupational therapy in primary care, check out CAOT's Put an OT on Your Team fact sheet for evidence and case studies highlighting occupational therapy's potential within health teams. The right team, the right care. So how do you define it? What do we do? Put you on the spot. (laughs) So occupational therapists, we, we really look at like, what makes a meaningful life for that individual and in a systematic way um, walk, walk through the barriers with, with the individual and figure out what are we going to do about it? So we bring our knowledge of, um, you know, anatomy, diagnoses, um, prognosis, of, you know, our, our knowledge of different medical conditions, um, developmental stages, aging processes, and we we insert that information as as we're brainstorming together with with the person in front of us how how we can make the best life for them. And so maybe that means um, addressing some of the barriers to functioning. Maybe their physical barriers. Maybe their environmental barriers. And so we look at equipment. We look at um, you know cognitive strategies. We look at mental health supports. And then we also look at the greater community and see how um, how this person is participating in um, 
not only their life, but in, in the greater community. And so are there roles that they're struggling with at work, at school, um, you know, accessing transporta transportation. And then we also look at, at leisure as well. Um, because when we talk about meaningful life, it's not just, you know, having, <laughs> getting dressed and eating and you also want to be, be accessing the occupations or the activities that are, are most important to you. Being, doing, belonging, becoming, all the good stuff, right? Exactly. What are the main challenges and wins within an interprofessional setting like primary care? I think in primary care, there's, I don't know, I, I even imagine sharing spaces or where, where doctors and OTs and maybe other, some of the other professions that could be part of a, a team-based primary care, like just sitting around the table and working on case studies just to learn about how each other how you could work together. We always start these conversations about clarifying roles, but what does that actually mean? How do we work together with all these different professions where some are really understood and some aren't? I think because I've had such an amazing experience working at the Child Development Center, like it is such, um, like at the core, it is such an interdisciplinary team. And so every day I'm having contacts with my physio coworkers and um, the speech therapist that work in the school district and the dietitian that works at the center and the pediatrician. And um, it's such a collaborative process. And I think that's critical because I certainly don't know everything. And while I bring a certain lens and perspective, it is so helpful to brainstorm the complex nature of people who come through our door. And um, because there's, there's always there's always new medical conditions or new life situations that you don't learn in school. <laughs> you, don't, right. you don't learn in school and you don't, you don't, you can't prepare for anything. But I think, I think backed up by um, my perspective as an OT and then having my physio coworker come in and look at mobility and, and sort of collaborate on wheelchair transfers with me. It just makes me, it, make, it makes the clinical care offered like much much more relevant and excellent and um, and I think accurate so yeah so the it inter interdisciplinary work I see I see as the best possible scenario for all mm -hmm. healthcare <laughs> really because yeah. I think again we're 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 living in a time where uh, at least to, to me medical presentations are getting more and more complicated um, both with our aging population, but also um, with advanced, you know, interventions and therapies, like people are surviving a lot more complicated situations than ever before, which is great. And also, but has its own it, challenges and barriers. Totally. So what so makes I, your team a high functioning team? Like, can we use that term? Yeah. One of the things that is so beneficial for the team I'm working on is that we have these long-term relationships with the patients and their families just been really lucky to have coworkers just show up for you and and the patients we're both trying to serve in like in really amazing ways and they stay late and they rack their brains to figure out the solution to help the kid play a video game when his hand won't work <laughs> and, and and then it works and it's and it's awesome I mean I think it's because uh, we're so motivated to do the best the best by these kids that we can and I think you know, so many of the people that I've met working in acute care hospital or in community, like 
in in the public system are so committed to to doing the right thing and i i think it's very easy to get frustrated and burnt out and the workload is super high mm-hmm. and those are all very real challenges and yet i think because in community we, we have a bit more time with the with the clients and so the work is much more satisfying because we can actually see our suggestions or interventions um working or not and right. we get that feedback from the client and it's like an ongoing relationship and that closure yeah and so for me that's inc- super motivating and very satisfying clinically because you can see the difference in a kid over 2 years or you can you know you can build that relationship with the person with mental health issue and finally they'll go to a job interview and you know at the end of it or you can see that that person who's been really struggling to feed, you know, to make adequate meals for themselves, like figure out a system where they can make scrambled eggs and toast. Like that and is, have their daughter over for breakfast. Like that, that's, yeah. that's life. That's amazing. So I'm yeah. hearing a couple that's- of themes there. Avoiding burnout by having a why. Why are you doing it? Why are you working so hard? Why are you staying late? And then celebrating those wins and taking time yeah. to actually share space with the client or the colleague. Is there anything else you can think of? I think having access to each other really does make a huge difference. So if I was just working by myself and sending referrals to some other physio, like at an office, you know, office behind an email. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, even, even though I, like I communicate so often with, you know, OTs and physios and health professionals who work in hospitals or other community clinics, but to have that face-to-face contact, to be able to see each other in the same building, that actually is huge. And it's, it's much more efficient to have a two-minute conversation in the hallway about like, hey, I just saw our client. They're not doing so well. Like their, their balance is really off. Can you go take a quick, quick peek and see how they're doing on the stairs? Like those kind of interactions, like hallway interactions are actually super valuable, I think, for right. the care that we can offer. And feeling like it just takes forever to get a response via email or you don't get to see the client at the same time. And so you're just missing each other. Like that kind of, it's frustrating. Like people just kind of, I don't know, tune out. It's more work to email the physio, follow up, make sure they got seen, write it in your note twice. But in the same center, you actually get all of the positive. For clients and their their parents, um, having all of us housed in one building is huge because I cannot tell you how many times that a family will call the center and they can't quite remember who they're supposed to see or they'll show up and they're really having a hard time. Um, But somebody's usually available to help them. And when you're working with um, kids who are, you know, medically fragile or, Mm -hmm. and, and parents who are trying to navigate, you know, so many different specialists and figure out what's happening with their family member, um, having one spot to go where uh, odds are the person who, who you need to talk to will, you know, will be able to help you out. Like that's huge for families. When you yourself have a complex medical situation or you're supporting a family member, um, having to navigate so many different kinds of specialists and so many different office buildings and trying to figure out where to go and what forms to do, like that's extremely difficult. Mm-hmm. even in the best of situations. So if you speak the language, if you can read and write, if you have a car, like all of the, even if you have all of those advantages, it's still extremely difficult to navigate um, and navigate the system um, 
as it is. And so add in, you don't speak English as a first language, you don't have a car, um, and it's it's almost impossible to get the care that you need uh, right. when when you need it. So primary care would be like a one-stop for everybody else too, which is really cool. Yeah. You briefly mentioned primary care networks. Can you tell me about the other two models you hinted at? Absolutely. So urgent primary care centers are outpatient centers more expanded than walk-in clinics and less acute than emergency departments. And so they're really meant to offload emergency centers and connect patients to GPs. They're called UPCCs, hear that acronym. Many of the UPCCs have not just family doctors employed. So they have nurse practitioners, they have physio, a little bit of social workers. I can't tell you off the top of my head if there is one with any OT yet, but the idea is anybody can walk through the door similar to a walk-in clinic, but the service that you'll get is more extensive. And so they can do more procedures, again, to try and offload the like non-emergency emergency department visits. They have extended hours, which is really critical, especially mm-hmm. in rural areas where there's, you know, the nearest emergency department or hospital might be two hours away. One of the things the BC Health Coalition especially has been advocating, and I, I truly, personally truly believe in, is our community health centers. Community health centers are kind of one-stop shop. They have a much different governance structure, often different fee structure, and kind of a broader like social determinants of health mandate. In terms of government governance, uh, community health centers have community members involved at the development phase and also who sit on like a governing board so that the needs of the community are reflected in the services offered. And so, so those might look really different between different cities or different locations across. Absolutely. Okay. Yeah. And, and in terms of like what professional or like what services are available, what kind of professions are, are available. For example, there are a number of community health centers in Ontario that have been extremely successful and have good evidence behind them in serving hard to serve populations or populations who have really fallen through the cracks in terms mm-hmm. of accessing primary health care. And you can imagine like an inner city neighborhood with, you know, lots of poverty. Maybe there's very diverse population. Maybe there's some refugees. Maybe there's low social economic. Yeah, challenging population. Um, maybe there's mental health and addictions issues. In those neighborhoods, community health centers have been incredibly successful at developing relationships and helping people feel welcomed into their space. And maybe they're going to talk to a housing counselor. Maybe they're going to see a peer support worker. Maybe they're going to do their see their mental health worker, and also see the nurse practitioner and review their meds and also connect with a physio because they have, you know, chronic knee pain or whatever it is. Community health centers are often able to offer cultural healthcare workers or cultural workers who really can be the key person to help welcome somebody through the door and and help them build a relationship with medical practitioners. And so in terms of being able to offer culturally safe care, Maybe it's really important that an elder is the first person that you talk to, and maybe maybe you need to do some like healing practices from your own culture first, and as a as a core component of your like medical care experience. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Are those all within the umbrella of primary care? The primary yes. care networks, urgent care, and then community care. 
Absolutely. Okay. Yeah. And so it's been really exciting recently because the government, as part of their platform, actually committed to opening community health centers as part of their healthcare platform. They have been working really hard with community partners to figure out how we do that because you can imagine that you can't just have a standard model that you just slap onto different communities and bam, they're open. It kind of defeats the purpose. Exactly. And so there's a, there's a real community consultation process that's critical. And we've always been advocating at the BC Health Coalition. And I think as an OT um, to make sure that at the development phase and at the governance phase, it's not just doctors because I mean, there's so many amazing doctors out there. However, I think there's been a very limited focus on the medical system that we've set up and it's been entirely driven by, by doctors in terms of policy creation and, and, and service delivery models. And so I think having other healthcare professionals like OTs who can bring their expertise and being like, yeah, why aren't we looking at readiness to work? Why aren't we looking at life skills? Having the communities themselves be able to explain what services they need is critical Mm -hmm. to providing relevant medical care. I'm really excited about community health centers and having like proper funding support for community members to actually show up to these kind of um, development phases and participate as true equal participants. And so it's not just a model implemented from top down, but it really comes from the grassroots. How might a setting like the community centers or primary care in general help us shape our practice to meet the needs associated with truth and reconciliation mandates? Absolutely. Yeah, I love that question. And I think I think particularly community health centers are are a really important model to incorporate the principles of truth and reconciliation. Community health centers are an excellent way in which we can start to right some of the very devastating wrongs that the medical system has has unfortunately inflicted on so many First Nations people and their families. Because if you have community members from the very beginning in the development phase who are a core part of the governance structure, then we can start to ensure that the medical services offered are relevant, that they're safe, safer, that they're beneficial for the community. I know the First Nations Health Authority is actually has been super active in both developing their own models for community health centers. Part of the criteria to uh, roll out the primary care networks in different geographic locations around the province is that they must have consulted with the First Nations in that area. And so I still see the community health centers as the best way to offer a, a truly integrated culturally safer practice because that's the setting that you can get team with the most different kinds of professions, right? Including cultural health workers, cultural health brokers, cultural health brokers are, it was a term I I hadn't come across before, but certainly in, in many of the other community health centers across the country, they're a key part. Mm -hmm. Um, And so you can imagine also for the new Canadian and refugee population, bring you know, at the very bare minimum, somebody who speaks your language is is a necessity, of course, but also mm-hmm. somebody who can help different healthcare practitioners who might not know exactly how to how to best present information, how to um, help the individual like understand all the choices in front of them, and help that individual make the best decisions 
um, right. for them. So having having a cultural health broker can a real navigator for mm-hmm. uh, for folks to get through get the care that they need. And I could see that really shaping our work as OTs because when we're working with someone's spirit or somebody's you know holistic as a human being there's lots of blind spots. We can't know everything about every other culture. Um, you have your own biases that you're not necessarily aware of and having a cultural broker there would be so helpful and naturally shape our practice, I think. And it wouldn't be forced or like a seminar. So that's, that's a really cool addition, having OTs, but also having someone to help us shape our work. Where do you think BC lies compared to the other provinces? In general, I would say we're actually in a really good position because we have a government who believes in public services. And so I think looking across the country, there's very serious things happening to, to public health care in terms of healthcare workers being fired and in, by the thousands in different provinces. So I think we are incredibly lucky to have a government and a ministry of health that is actually quite willing to, to look at evidence-based practice and to work with healthcare workers and, and community groups and individuals. Mm-hmm. So in that sense, this is a wonderful moment. And we've seen some real significant improvements to, to not just primary healthcare, but like public healthcare in general. And we've seen moves like such as opening up more OT training spaces at UBC, coming, coming up with a primary healthcare certification program. And there's, I mean, there's amazing interdisciplinary teams that are working in community that OTs are like centrally a part of, mm-hmm. especially in mental health, especially in child development centers. We just need to really promote our, our profession, promote, mm-hmm. really promote ourselves as how much value we can add to this team because of all of these amazing examples that are already out there and that we should just, just go for it. Yeah. And replicate them. What are the obstacles facing primary care OTs right now? And what do you think are going to be our biggest obstacles in the foreseeable future here? It's new. It's so new. So work in primary care is really exciting to me as an occupational therapist. And so I'm hoping that OTs around the province are really going to ask for it in their geographic location and and start advocating like, hey, OTs can do all of these things that would be super beneficial to your team. So I really see a lot of a big role for for promoting the OT scope of practice, and and I think it's going to be a bit emerging as well, like emergent, um, right. because because it's new, it's it's newer, it's newer to have OTs part of primary care teams. So I think we can look to um, very successful interdisciplinary teams where OTs have a core role, like child development centers, like mental health teams who are functioning in the community, you know, home and community care, and build from that to a scope to see the general population. Mm-hmm. I don't I don't see us seeing every single person that would walk through the door of a primary care setting, but I think we would be called in for when the person was not coping at home for whatever right. reason. And and when things are getting more complicated medically. Maybe you need some equipment. Maybe it's more supports. Maybe it's cognitive intervention. But I just feel like it would always be work for us. Definitely. What are some of the big wins that are happening for BCOTs in primary care? Having conversations like like the Connect Day and hearing that there are OTs being invited to primary care teams up north in in the interior. And so I think it's a win that that there's very real recognition the Ministry of Health level, from health authority level, 
and from from you know physicians themselves like from healthcare workers themselves recognize how valuable they are like i've actually had a number of conversations with doctors heads of divisions of family practice being like oh i know what ot's and i really want one like Right. Um, I wish I wish I could work with an OT because they they have some understanding of what we can offer to the healthcare experience for people in the community. I would also say seeing the training spaces expand in BC, I think is really positive. And I think having having some opportunity to discuss as a profession on platforms like this podcast about this is a this is a really big moment. I think there's a lot of OTs quite interested in really rising to the challenge and being like, yes, like we belong here. Yeah. Just knowing that there's other OTs doing it and you're not alone can be really helpful. What do you think are the next steps for OTs in primary care? I mean, I think this idea of like figuring out ways to really promote the OT roles, like Mm -hmm. to the divisions of family practice to developing primary healthcare, like primary care networks to health authority boards, like, that I see as actually pretty critical because I think I think there's been so many times when there's been like a little bit of progress in our healthcare system, but because they only talk to doctors or they only talk to nurses, we just get totally shut out. And it's right. such a like missed opportunity for the general populations. If OTs can be working on on developing like here's my scope of practice blurbs in <laughs> primary care, um, and and really like promoting that in a very public way, I think that would be awesome. I think continuing to build relationships with decision makers in government, Ministry of Health, and the health authorities. I went to an event, uh, I think about a year and a half ago, that was super successful because I think it brought together public health care workers, including OTs, health authority workers, and doctors, and um, community members, and we all got to talk to each other. And it was often the first time that policymakers at the Ministry of Health had ever talked to an OT, ever. Which is too bad because it totally is. Like, <laughs> because unbelievable. You know, there has to be constant effort to build these relationships mm-hmm. with the people who are making the decisions on funding and what services get implemented, and you know how health authorities see the the continuity of care from primary health care to acute care and where where to put the emphasis and and how we fit into each of those spaces many decision makers aren't necessarily frontline healthcare workers and many don't know what ot's are and so i see i see it as incredibly valuable to go meet with your mla tell them that you're an ot if you're in the public sector like hsa the health sciences association is our uh, union and or one of the one of the main healthcare unions and it has a great program where it helps health frontline healthcare workers meet with their MLA and tell them about public health care and why right. they should care. And it's awesome because healthcare, I think, is one of those topics that everyone wants to talk about, no matter your political background, conservative, progressive, whatever. I think it's such a like deeply held Canadian value that we have a public health care system that people really believe in it and we can right. make it so much better. Yeah. CAOT also just created the post-election playbook. So there's some okay. good sample letters and just ideas to what to share with some of those government officials. So you don't have to recreate awesome. the wheel. Other people have, you know, put your own spin, put your own beliefs, but there's some hard facts that you can really lean on. Um, and I think that is, I know a big fear for me when I go and um, advocate for my role or our profession as in the big scope 
um, is just you might not necessarily be an expert in primary care, but that doesn't mean you're not an expert in OT and you can't share our passion and what we're capable of. Thank you so much for being here and being on the podcast. The best. I had so much fun. Thank you. Thank you for joining us on CAOTBC, the podcast. Connect with us by emailing CAOTBC at CAOT.ca with podcast in the subject line. I'm your host, Jen Talbensite. Music in this episode was provided by verbalplanet.com.